You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, actually, our show is about identity theft, and we have an, another expert with us, and I want to tell you a little bit about John Cilio, who is the author of this book, Privacy Means Profit, Prevent Identity Theft and Secure You and Your Bottom Line. So let me tell you a little bit about John. Uh, John's identity was stolen from his business, and it was used to embezzle almost a half a million dollars from his clients. So while the thief covered his crimes using John's identity, John and his business were held legally and financially responsible for these felonies that were committed. And the breach destroyed John's corporation, and it consumed two years of his life as he fought to stay out of jail. But John chose to fight back and speak out, and he emerged from this crisis, just like the name of my book, From Victim to Victor. He went from victim to victor, and John became one of the leading professional speakers on information survival, including identity theft protection, data breaches, cybersecurity, human manipulation, and social media exposure. John is also the author of another book called Stolen Lives, the Facebook Safety Survival Guide, and this one that I have right here in front of me, Privacy Means Profit. And he's recently appeared on 60 Minutes and Fox and Friends, and he's really um, a regular contributor to Fox and Friends as well. John teaches data security from the inside out, so when he does presentations for corporations. He's building a foundation, not only of personal protection, but also workplace protection. And as we know, and we've talked about many times on this show, information is the corporation's most profitable asset. And information means power and it means money. But unfortunately, it's human beings that have to defend it even more than technology. So just to let you know how important John's work has been, he has presented and for uh, the Department of Defense, the Blue Cross Blue Shield, the FDIC, Pfizer, the Federal Trade Commission, Lincoln National, the Department of Homeland Security, AARP, and many more. And John is the president of the Cilio Group, which coaches organizations to thrive in the ever-changing world of information domination. You can learn more about him at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, where you're going to see his picture, his bio, and you we link to his website. And you can also go to his website, thinklikeaspy.com. Thank you, John, so much for joining us from beautiful Colorado. Mari, it is an honor and a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's several of us who have gone from victim of identity theft to victor. My good friend Linda Foley, who was a victim when her boss stole her identity 
became the founder of the Identity Theft Resource Center. And I myself was a victim way back in 1996, which led me to go to the White House and get laws passed and help with laws in the state of California to make identity theft a crime. So there are many of us who have not allowed ourselves to become real victims. We've been victimized, but we take it and we run with it. But let's hear your story. Why don't you tell people exactly what happened to you? You bet. Well, thank you first, both uh, yourself and Lyndon J. Foley, uh, also out there in California, do a fantastic job, and uh, I'm glad we're all on the same team together. You know, my story is is a case of two uh, cases of identity theft. One was kind of the garden variety out of the trash. Uh, A woman used my identity, stole it out of the trash, used it to buy her own home uh, in, in a different state, and then declared bankruptcy as me. Mm. And that one was was relatively painless. It took you know maybe a hundred hours to to resolve. Unfortunately, I did what what many people do, which is I did nothing. I didn't take any preventative steps, and that's when uh, my identity was used to embezzle about three hundred thousand dollars from our clients. Uh, as this is so often the case, it turned out to be my business partner, a, a person that I thought I could trust, but. Uh, Obviously, I didn't know the, the new world of trust that we live in that has changed with, with things like the Internet. And uh, he uh, took just about everything we had. He took the business, the customers. It was a 40-year-old uh, technology business that, that my family had started. And it destroyed every, virtually everything we had, my salary, my career, the company, uh, just about my marriage. And uh, like you, out of the... the uh, fire of experience, and like Linda, uh, it finally convinced me that I needed to do, do something to change it, and that's when I wrote my first book, Stolen Lives, and then the second, Privacy Means Profit, and that has led me into a career truly more of, of speaking internationally than, than doing much more writing, um, and that's what I do to this day, and I'm very uh, happy to be part of it. John, so what happened to your fraudster? Uh, my fraudster uh, and my business partner ultimately um, went to jail, but only for 18 days. This was back in 2005. Identity theft was not a crime in Colorado in 2005. Mm. And uh, to boot, he was independently wealthy and con- could afford far better lawyers than either us or the state could. Uh, and had he not confessed at one point to it, I'm not sure I would have ever gotten off the hook. Luckily, uh, he had a moment of of contrition and admitted to it. And instead of uh, me going to jail, I went off and wrote a book and became a professional speaker on the topic. Yeah. You know, it's so often that there are dirty insiders who have access. Like when first, when you had the dumpster diver, that's one thing. And like you said, it still took you a hundred hours and she still was able to get a house. But I think the insidious stuff is when there is a person of trust like Linda, when her own boss stole her identity, or someone who has access to that information, these people who are unscrupulous employees. And for you to have your business partner, what a breach of trust and friendship, and to just embezzle and just make it look like it was you. I mean, that, that's got to be a real misguided soul, that's for sure. It is a misguided soul, and it you know it kind of r- removes your soul in the process. I'm sure you felt that, mm-hmm. you know, as you called it, the victimization. Uh, whether you are a victim or not is your choice. But 
the, that process of, of uh, somebody taking that, you know, from out from under you, it's, it's, I'm sure, very much like being robbed very significantly where you feel that, that gross, you know, somebody has violated my most basic rights, my privacy. Yes. And uh, it's, it's incredible. And, and you're right that, you know, uh, it's oftentimes somebody we trust. And I have found in, in uh, you know, my engagements throughout the country that, that trust is, uh, we're having to redefine it with things like social media, yes. where I can learn enough about you to have you or a relative or a colleague of yours trust me that, that I know you and have your good intentions at heart. That's really what we're battling now. Yes. You know, it's sad because most people are good people and they want to trust. They want somebody who is very engaging with them and they really want to believe that everything is good. And and then you've got people who take advantage of it. You know, I've had Kevin Mitnick on my show. I know you know who he is. He, sure. he wrote The Art of Deception, The Art of... Um, intrusion and he was you know the famous fbi hacker <laughs> and he is just a master at social engineering we just had him on for his new his new book ghost and the wires and um you know these people are you know they're great social engineers and people who are good who want to trust like you your family like linda like me you know it's unfortunate that like you said we have to relook at trust and I hear so much here in Orange County, California, about the prosecution. 70% of all the identity theft that is prosecuted in this county are really unscrupulous inside people in, in, the, in the corporations. Sure. Well, well, think about it. It's easy. Yeah. You've got inside access. You know where things are. You know how things run. It's highly profitable. So few people you know, ever get caught in, in these type of data crimes. And, you know, we've all, been, we've all been kind of misled to think that information is what holds the power, that technology has the power. And really, this, you know, it's the people that hold the power. It's, it's the human at the end of it, whether it's the person making a mistake with how they, you know, protect their wireless connection, or it's the human who knows how to hack into your, your corporate network and, and get information that they shouldn't be. Or the, or the human that can trick you either with what the phishing emails that you get or the vishing, the phone calls that you get that you believe it's real or just the even the letters that are sent that you think it's something is really real. It's from some bank that you have an affiliation with or the IRS or something. So it's it is really very, very tricky. And in this day and age where people are you know, online and they're meeting people from all over the world and they think just because they start talking to them that they can trust them and they're good friends. It's um, it's really quite scary. I know one of the things that the DAs say here in Orange County, and, and I take advantage of that, is always have checks and balances. Always make sure that somebody is looking over somebody's shoulder. Even if you've had a bookkeeper that you've had for 30 years, Make sure that there is checks and balances, somebody who is looking over what that bookkeeper is doing, and don't just sign checks without even looking at them if you're a business person. And we have a lot of business people driving by. And so we want to make sure that, you know, even though they're trusting, they they have to know that they are very vulnerable as well. Absolutely. I, I love the idea of checks and balances, and it's something we all know intuitively it's something that we've been trained on, at least, you know, older generations have. 
but it's not always something that we actually carry out and put into action. We, you know, whether it's in our hiring process where we're not actually uh, doing a background check, where we're we're not uh, calling the references that we should be, or you know, we have the checks and balances in place, we just don't always utilize them. Right. Or if you have somebody who's worked for you for ten years and they've been so honest, and you start trusting more and more and more, and then you trust so much that you literally are are kind of teasing them where they have total access. I read about something just recently in our newspaper, a woman who had worked for a company for like 15 years and they trusted her so much and she had all the access. So she would write checks um, out of the company, like to a vendor, and then she was actually opening up accounts pretending to be that vendor. <laughs> wow. I know, I know. And And so, you know, the more you trust them and the more that you make it so easy. It's like teasing them. You're making it so easy for them to do this that um, it's unfortunate that you need to have that accountability, but but we do, even after you hire somebody. So, I mean, how long had you been partners with this guy? Been partners only for a couple of years, which is, you know, seems like it's long enough. Right. I've known the person for five or six years, um, but there were signs there that, again, there were checks and balances that that I didn't follow up on that, you know, should have signaled, hey, there, there's something wrong here. You need to do more research. And, you know, what I've discovered from, from all of the anecdotes that I get as I travel around and speak is that trust works, you know, there's a brain science behind it, which is right away when you meet somebody, your, your trust reflex works over time. And, you know, it, it even builds up a, a chemical oxytocin, which I call and many people call the trust hormone, that, that allows you to bond with people. And the social engineers, the fraudsters and scammers and identity thieves, they know this. They know that there's a certain period of time that they need to create this bond until your brain is on autopilot. And once it is, that's when they take advantage of you. Exactly. Just when you're at your most vulnerable point. Yep. So when we talk about this, and, and you talk about it, and I talk about it, I mean, are people to think what that we should assume that all our information is at risk and to be t- paranoid, and, and is a healthy dose of paranoid okay? Or, you know, wh- where are we? Where, where do, how do you think that we should think about this, John? You know, paranoid is too much. None of us wants to live in a paranoid world. So if, if that's the, you know, we've gone too far if that's the case. The way that I like to think about it is instead of paranoia is healthy skepticism. If you are doing something about the fear, if you are doing something about the problem, then you don't need to be paranoid. And, you know, the way, the way that I teach through the books, the way that I teach in speeches is a, is a mindset. It's changing your mindset, and it's called Think Like a Spy, uh, just like my website, Think Like a Spy. And it's simply applying a, a new set of rules, a new perspective on how you look at all of this information. If you, know, if you believe in the, the maxim that information is now currency in, in this economy, and it really is, it's as good as, as gold, then you have to, you have to think um, in, in very specific ways about how you share that, just like you would think about how you protect your wallet or your cash or your bank account. So no, paranoia is, is 
not there unless you're doing nothing. And then absolutely, there should be paranoia. Right. And, and there are some things that you can do to put up barriers. But the truth of the matter is, if somebody in your corporation or someone, a neighbor or someone who knows you wants to take your identity, they can. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's just being in touch with your intuition. It's it's making sure that you take every precaution that you can. And then if it happens, you'll just have to deal with it. I mean, I have I have had clients, John, who have literally been so privacy conscious that nothing was in their own name. And this one client that, that I had, I mean, she had uh, a lot of money and she had a lot of trust funds and she had nothing in her own name, not even her home in her own name. And um, she became the victim of identity theft and she couldn't understand how it happened. But how it happened was a, um, a person who worked in the corporation that she worked for had gotten a hold of these banker boxes filled with personnel files and stole it and then stole her identity that way. So if, if, you know, you could do everything that you, that's in your books, that's in my books, everything, and it still could happen. And so you just have to let that go and say, if it happens, I'm going to be on top of it. And I'm going to take all the steps I, I need to take to remedy it. Yeah. You know what, Mari, we can also get in a car, drive out onto the, the uh, street take a left turn at the wrong time and be smashed by it. Right. That's why and, we have insurance. And, but that doesn't mean you don't wear your seatbelt. <laughs> right. That doesn't mean you don't drive. It, you know, there are still answers to this. And, and part of it is, you know, this whole black and white silver bullet answer that, you know, this service or that service or this product solves this problem. And it gives us, a, there's no gray area. The, the real answer is, as you take steps to, to minimize it, not totally get rid of it, but minimize it, you become less attractive of, of a target. And you can do that in your business. You can do that personally. You do something simple like freezing your credit. Well, oh my gosh, think of the number of people that you have just cut off from a, you know, one of the major sources of financial identity theft. So you're right. No, no need to get overly paranoid about it. You only can control what you can control. And beyond that, it's like anything else in life that has a risk. Yes. And we are speaking today with a wonderful identity theft expert. We're speaking with John Cilio, who is the author of Privacy Means Profit, Prevent Identity Theft and Secure You and Your Bottom Line. And he also has a website that you can learn a lot more at Think Like a, like a Spy. Wait, thinklikesaspy.com. Thank you. <laughs> Anyway, so let's talk about some of the things that businesses can do, because I'll tell you, I, fortunately in our state, and I don't know if they have done this in Colorado, I know it's not federal yet, but we were one of the first states to allow businesses to create, to have an identity theft police report, because many businesses can't in many states. So now you can be a victim of identity theft in your business and get a police report and deal with it that way. But it's very easy nowadays to steal the identity of a business. And now we have small business owners and large business owners. And people don't realize that, you know, under the, the consumer laws, you have many more protections than you do as a business. So, for example, if you have a corporate credit card, you're not covered by the Fair Credit Reporting Act. 
<laughs> so, so you know, you're going to have a lot more problem cleaning up the mess with a corporate card and finding out about it than you are on with a consumer credit card. Isn't that amazing that, that here, the you know, where the money really flows in this society, we have not taken the time to protect those basic things? And the same thing with your checking accounts. I mean, this is, it's really horrible for checking accounts. So, you know, one of the things that I do all the time and I tell people to do just right off the bat is set up alerts for every one of your accounts. So as soon as there's any kind of electronic transfer out of your account, the bank sends you an email to tell you, and then you'll know, oh, well, that was me, you know, or I paid payroll taxes or, you know, it's not a big deal. But, you know, you have to tell them within two days or you can, you can lose thousands and thousands or millions of dollars. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and that is so much harder to recover from. You just, I mean, you think you have no advocates on the personal side. There, there's even less, I think, on the business side. Oh, yeah. So when you guys went through that embezzlement on the business side and they thought it was you, oh, my gosh, there was probably no help out there for you. Uh, only the help we paid for, which we ended up paying quite a bit for. Yeah, yeah. And and still, the guy only did 18 days. So <laughs> that, that shows you something. The guy should have gone to jail and he should have been ordered to pay restitution. Did he pay restitution, by the way? Um, started in the process of paying restitution and filed for bankruptcy. So all of the civil proceedings, uh, somehow he managed to get out from under that. And I, I don't understand the legality because you would mm. think that you couldn't get out of paying back your crimes, but uh, yeah, yeah. We, we never got the 300000 back that we, we refunded to our the customers who had been wronged. Yeah, that's, oh, goodness gracious. So then, you know, then you end up with them coming after you for... They did. Yeah. They yeah. were hungry for us, and they didn't care we had been wronged. Right. They only cared that they had been wronged. And, you know, there's a one of the fundamental truths, I think, of these data crimes is... It, People only care as, as far as it applies to them. Right. And that's why you and, and me and, and Linda are, you know, are out passionately speaking about this stuff because it now applies to us. We get it. We've been there. We've been bit. And it's right. so hard to get that to people before, you know, to get them to exercise before the heart attack, to get them to lock down their identity and their business and their intellectual capital before the data theft. Right, right. Now, in your book, you talk about the three enemies of privacy, and we're talking about your book, Privacy Means Profit. So why don't we talk about what those three enemies of privacy are? And for large and small businesses, you you talked about avoid, apathy, ignorance, and inaction. So that's really four, right? (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about each of those. Yeah, well, apathy is what you what we were just referring to, which is until it has touched you personally, um, it's very hard for, for people to care about it, um, either their own identity and certainly about the corporation's identity. And they probably don't even think it could ever happen to them. They don't. That's it's, what, you know, that's, it's yeah. a process of uh, immediate denial of it's not going to happen or it's not going to be that bad. Right. And what we have found is that Engaging people in, in actually primary experiences of what it feels like to go through that, whether that's, you know, me up there telling a story of, of going through a data breach and what it did to my family and what it did to our company and the costs of it, so that you, you kind of 
get that empathic response that, oh my God, this could be me. Right, they can relate. They can relate. And you can't believe the number of people who, once they relate, it's, it's like a light bulb clicking on that, oh, okay, I get it. I understand why this matters. And, and getting rid of that, that apathy, that sense of it's not going to happen to me, that is absolutely the first step. Right. And then you talk about ignorance. People, you know, they think ignorance is bliss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, does that not work in the Internet economy anymore? <laughs> You, you can't afford not to know, not to be aware of, you know, when you're putting that pro- profile up on, on Facebook, where it's going, where it's being sold. When you're setting up that wireless network in your office, how easy it is to crack in and see what you're sending across the account numbers and the emails. And, and when you're downloading those apps on your mobile phone, oh, oh my God, goodness. is that a killer or what? Yeah. I mean, they're just funneling data out. And not only that... But you've agreed to their terms of agreement, and, and you have told them, you can take my data because you didn't read it. Right. Well, even if you try and read it, often you don't understand what they're saying no. anyway. No. And, and, you know, so, you know, people say, oh, well, we have to hold consumers ap- accountable or business owners accountable. Well, how about these companies that create these so- software and this hardware? Why not hold them accountable because they're the ones who create it? Why aren't they building privacy issues and security issues into the technology that they're creating. Cost. Yeah. (laughs) They do not want to do it because of cost, which doesn't that make you sick to your stomach when you realize the amount of monthly income that, you know, AT&T or Verizon or Apple are making off of these apps that oftentimes are created, you know, for free and yet there's, you know, massive dollars underneath that, that that they're making and refusing to build in some of these basic, you know, privacy sandboxes so that we can all play nice. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, you know, that's why there's so, there is a lot that we can do and we can be aware of, but there's so much that we're not aware of. You know, I keep, I have backup in the cloud and I'm scared to death. You know, I, I encrypt stuff that, that, you know, before it goes into the cloud. But, you know, most of us are on the cloud, whether we know it or not. Even your social networking is on the cloud. Gmail is on the cloud. And there is really very little protection on the cloud. And what can you and I do about it? That's what's so frustrating for me. Well, we're, you know, without question, we are moving to the cloud. Whether Murray and John like it or not, uh, and, and there are massive security issues, it's, we're going there. So I guess we have to, to learn how we deal with it. And you just gave a great example, which is if you're going to back up on the cloud at a, at a Dropbox or, or an iBackup or one of those sites, um, if you can encrypt it before it goes up, now you're taking responsibility. It may not be perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better than, than counting on that company to take care of you. And, I mean, just imagine... Uh, the data backup company that now is purchased by, uh, you know, a European conglomerate or by a, a Russian company. Or China. <laughs> or China or North Korea or Iran. Right. And, right. and uh, you know, you have no idea because there's so many shell companies, and yet your data is now under a completely different policy. You don't control it. You don't own it. And you don't have any say about what happens to it. I know. So what are some of the things besides encryption that we can do? We don't have a lot of time, but maybe you could just give us a, c- a couple thoughts from your book. 
Yeah, I, I think one of the uh, one of the most basic reflexes that people need to have is, do I actually need to use this? So before you go on to and sign up for Carbonite to back up, you know, your tax information, you think to yourself, do I actually want this out here? Do I want it being communicated between? And if you can stop some of that traffic, some of the, the flow of your information in and out of your business or in and out of your, your home office, um, you actually get rid of, uh, of a major portion of, of the risk. And people have been so trained to just click on the newest app and to, to utilize the newest cloud service. Um, you know, Facebook being a great example of people having put their birth dates and their hometowns and their, their names in. And you and I both know that, you know, with some, some degree of certainty, that gives you a social security number. Right, right. But that reflex of, hang on, you know, and my kids have got it because, you know. Because <laughs> Danny's telling them, yeah, yeah. And they know, gosh, I've got, a, I've got an alias birth date that, you know, that can still be utilized to, to show what season my birthday's in and let people know so I'm still a part of the network, and yet it's not one that can be utilized to defraud me. Well, we are out of time, John. It's been so wonderful, and we're going to ask people to go and visit your website at thinklikeaspy.com and look at your new book, Privacy Means Profit, Prevent Identity Theft, and Secure You and Your Bottom Line. Thank you so much, and keep up the great work, and we'll have to meet sometime in the real person. Mari, you do the same, and I look forward to it. Hopefully, it'll be sometime soon. Okay, you take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And write us emails about what's important to you in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.